All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. <sighs> Are we in? We're in. I was going to say hi in a really dorky way, and I realized it at the last Because you got your hands, like, your shoulders are up to your ears, and your hands are at your side in a weird crab position. What's up? I'm Hannah. Hi, Hannah. I'm Deanna. Nice to meet you. Okay. All right. Dude, dude, we met ages ago. <laughs> All right. Uh, hello, everybody. I, I, it's more than half our lives at this point. Really? I think so, because we met when we were 14. That's, that's 17 years ago. How cute. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome to your weekly dose of women. I'm Hannah. I'm Deanna. <laughs> that was so nerdy. That's okay. We talk well, about that's ladies. That probably some of the best we've ever done it. Maybe that's why I find it nerdy, because I'm so used to us being so bad at this. But that's okay. <laughs> we talk about ladies from all years and eras and walks of life. We sure do. That's that. And, that uh, is that. Yeah. And it's um, October 23rd, I believe. Spookin' season. That's right. So we're almost to Halloween. We're getting there. We're getting close. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're talking about spooky ladies. Well, you have some things to spook me out a little bit mm-hmm. more. Yeah, okay. Before so, we dive in. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I wanted to start this week's episode um, with a BuzzFeed article that Spencer Althouse posted um, at the beginning of the month. Okay. And it's uh, 15 scary ghost stories that actually happened in real life. <laughs> yes. All right. One. I had a paper route when I was younger and delivered to a lady named Margie. She was very old and lived alone, so I'd take the paper inside and check on her. One day I went in and she was asleep on the bed, so I put the paper on the table and left. Oh, no. The next day she was asleep again and the oh, other no. newspaper was still unopened. Oh. The following day, I went in and Margie was awake. She said she was very happy and gave me a hug. But the day after that, there were cars outside of her house. Apparently, Margie had died in her bed three or four days ago. (gasps) Somehow, I spoke to and hugged her about 24 hours earlier when she was already dead. No! No! All right, so we're just going. in. We're just diving in. That's insane. That is so scary. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. But also comforting, weirdly. Well, it's it's creepy that he was going into her house while she was dead, clearly, yeah. and like delivering her paper. Yeah. I thought that he was just going to realize that she had died and he was going in there while she was already dead. But no, he hugged a ghost instead. Yep. yep. Okay. Cool, cool. I used to work at a hospital and had a lot of midnight shifts. Around 3 a.m., I went to the vending machine to get a snack. There was a door next to the vending machine with a window on it that faced the cafeteria. I clearly saw someone walk by the door. It took me a minute until I remembered that the cafeteria had motion sensor lights that should have turned on, but it was still dark inside. I went to get a closer look, and the direction the person was walking in would have led them straight into a wall. I've never run faster in my entire life. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yep. In the last week of my grandmother's life, she would stare off at nothing and talk to dead family members. Mm. For example, she'd talk to her dead sister, saying things like, Okay, Rose, I'll be there soon. We noticed she exclusively did this with dead relatives, so we thought it was strange when she started talking to her brother Henry, who was still alive. Or so we thought. We got a call later that day that Henry had just died. No! Ah, I just got chills. That's creepy, right? That one's fucking creepy. Yeah. When I was about six years old, my mom's very close co-worker passed away. She was a nurse. Later that night, I woke up to find out that I fell asleep in my mom's bed. When I looked over, I saw a woman standing over my mom, looking like she was putting in an IV. I'd never seen this woman before, but she looked at me, smiled, walked down the hallway, and vanished. A few days later, my mom came back from the funeral, and I finally saw a picture of her coworker, and it was the same woman I saw in her room that night. Oh, God. Because that would be more just like childish imagination if she knew what that woman looked like, but Mm -hmm. she did not. That's so creepy. Uh-huh. Um, I worked at McDonald's on the overnight shift, and we had a stereo sitting on the counter in the front. There were three of us washing dishes in the back. We suddenly heard a crash. 
We saw the stereo was on the floor and unplugged, but the restaurant was empty. The stereo had been sitting completely level on the countertop, so there was no way it could have just fallen. We watched the security tapes and saw the stereo fly off the counter for no reason. It was probably the creepiest thing I've ever seen, and the only explanation I can think of is that a ghost did it. Oh my god, that reminds me of when I worked at... um Auraria in Denver. Mm-hmm. I used to work in the bookstore. And so the Tivoli Student Union is this very, very old building. It used to be a brewery in the early 1800s. Yep. And um, the bookstore is in the basement area. And we had security cameras in the stock room and all throughout the store. Right. And there was a tape that the stockroom guys used to keep and add on to of spooky things that they caught on tape in the middle of the night. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't get a chance to see it until I was almost until like the end of my time there. And one of them stuck with me because it was just this huge pile of boxes flying outward across the floor as if somebody had like punched into them. It wasn't even them toppling and just sort of, you know, inertia create, you know, making them fall over. It was like somebody had shoved the whole pile of boxes over and they went flying across the room. No. <laughs> creepy, creepy shit. Terrifying. I know. I used to work at a public pool. After we'd close, I'd often work alone to clean the area. One night around 2 a.m., I was cleaning the locker rooms. The pool had been closed for a few hours by this time, but I heard the sound of a child's laughter and bare feet running across the pool deck. I went out to scan the area, but there was nobody in sight. The doors were all closed and locked, and there was nowhere a kid could be hiding. I also didn't see any wet footprints on the pool deck. I rechecked the doors and the security monitors, but there was nothing. I was the only person in the building. Oh, God. Pools are really scary, by the way. Did you ever watch Are You Afraid of the Dark Mm -mm. when you were a kid? Mm -mm. There was one episode. Yeah, Alex knows what I'm talking about. There's an episode with, like, a haunted pool, and these kids get dragged under Nope. In, in this haunted pool. It is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Pools are scary. There's a terrifying scene, uh, including a pool in It Follows. Oh, good. I still have to see it. God. We got to watch it together. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. Promise me we'll watch it together. For Halloween. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is happy. <laughs> he loves the spooking season. <laughs> we all do. We God bless the spooking season. Um. One night I woke up to what looked like a nun who was frantically praying next to my bed. I couldn't hear her, but she kept making the cross sign across her chest. I was 100% awake and terrified. I told my mom about it the next day. She said our house was originally built for a priest and that nuns used to stay there. (gasps) That terrifying photo is included in, in that article. Oh my God. I'm a mortician. Oh, oh, here we go. My most disturbing experience was when I was preparing a child for viewing. Oh, God. I randomly felt someone pull my hair, but I was alone. A couple minutes later, I heard a giggle and the door slammed shut. (gasps) All of my machines stopped and it was dead quiet. No. After I was done and the body was dressed, I felt a tap on my shoulder and warmth around my midside, approximately where a child would stand if they were hugging you. That is creepy. Yeah. I woke up one night having to pee, and I brought my phone to the bathroom. While walking down the hall and texting, I bumped into a girl in a white dress. I didn't look up, said sorry, and kept going. (laughs) It occurred to me moments later that I was home alone and not in my bustling high school. The next day, when my boyfriend came to pick me up for the movies, he asked why I'd been staring at him through the upstairs window and why I'd changed out of my white dress. I don't even own a white dress. No! (laughs) No! That's two people who saw her. Yeah. Oh, God. Two people. So, so scary. I went home to visit my mom after my dad died. I knew I was the only one in the house, but I heard a noise upstairs. As plain as day, I heard my dad up in his room. He got up from his computer chair, walked over to the door, and opened it. He walked down the stairs and stood on the last step for a few seconds before walking back up to his room and closing the door. Whoa. I was probably five feet from the living room. I was just froze, and it scared the hell out of me. That's, I mean, that's got to be fucking trippy. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's got to be like an echo, you know, of a memory. Did, did you did you ever feel like when you were in high school that you were more in tune or more aware? Like when you were that age? For sure. Because I definitely felt that, especially into my early 20s. And I feel like as I've gotten older, that has kind of gone away. But yeah. a lot of these people who are that, who are so much younger... Who have these experiences and these, you know, yeah, yeah. these thoughts about 
No, definitely. It's interesting. I don't. I guess I don't know how old she was. I assumed high school because the previous one was high school, but still. maybe she's older. But still. Uh, I was visiting a friend and stayed at her townhouse. Her roommate was away, so I slept in the roommate's room in the basement. I woke up in the middle of the night to a man in a black suit and black hat covering me up. What? He then walked out of the basement sliding glass door. Oh, put like putting a blanket on her? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't feel scared at all and fell right back to sleep. In the morning, my friend's roommate was back, so I asked her about the man in the suit. She looked back at me and said, oh, so you saw our ghost too? <gasps> oh, God. Sliding glass door? Yeah. Ooh. But he came up, covered her up, and then left. Ooh. Oh, so you've seen the ghost. Ooh. That's so creepy. I could not sleep in a room that had a ghost in it. I say that, but this building's got to have ghosts. I was going to say, you, this like, building you was live built in an like old 1917. building. <laughs> I, I see like shadows in the corner every once in a while, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? When I grew up I in, never feel like it's ever harmful. When energy. I grew up in Toronto, we, we lived in a really old house that had a lot of floors and you could always, you felt this like, the, 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 the energy of the whole place was really weird. I guarantee you the whole thing was haunted. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and this last one. When I was a kid, I was playing at home and had a sudden urge to look over my shoulder. I saw what looked like a man in a suit stepped out of my closet. Years later, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw the same man from when I was a kid. I ran back to my room and shut the door. I never slept with my doors closed, but that night I felt the urge to. A couple hours later, I woke up to the smoke alarm going off. I opened my bedroom door and the entire living room was engulfed in flames. Oh my God. I managed to escape through a window, but lost the entire house to the fire. The firefighters said that if my door hadn't been closed, it was very likely I would have died from smoke inhalation. Holy shit. Thank you, creepy guardian angel in my closet for saving my life. Oh my God. That's terrifying. Yeah. I want to know what started that fire. Right? Oh, my God. But that's insane. Yeah, that is, that is, that is next level. Great spooking intro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we like this too much. Yep. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Shall I tell you about a lady? Uh, please. Okay. Today. Yes. My sources are... The Daily Beast, Biography.com, The Guardian, JSTOR, Wikipedia. Ooh, you have I some know. scholarly sources. I got some cool shit on JSTOR, uh, Wikipedia, and oddly enough, Shondaland. Okay. Like Shonda. Yeah. Wait, Shonda Rhimes? Is yeah. That? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I I liked this little this little bit from the JSTOR article. It was a dark and stormy night two centuries ago in Switzerland. Indeed, it was a dark and stormy summer. So dark, so stormy, that those who lived through it remembered 1816 as the year with no summer at all. Oh, oh, I have a feeling I know who you're going to talk about. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So let's back up and begin with what we know about Mary Shelley. Yes! Mary Shelley, Mary Shelley. I've been wanting to do Mary Shelley for a long ever. ass time. Yep. I love Mary Shelley. For those of you who maybe don't know, just, you know, she is the author of Frankenstein. Yep. Not only that, she was kind of a badass person. With a badass mom, too. With a badass mom. But that's about the extent of what I truly know. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you some cool shit. Yay. So. Mary Shelley was born in 1797 as Mary Godwin. She was named Mary after her mother, 
who died shortly after giving birth to her. And her, mar- her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft, who was an early feminist author best known for a vindication of the rights of women. Fuck yes. Yes. That was her, that was her big... Claim um, to fame. Yeah, her big claim to fame. This, this scholarly work that was very feminist and very ahead of its time. So that was her mom. Uh, her father, William Godwin, was a noted political philosopher and free thinker. And he was uh, a poet and, you know, rubbed elbows with a lot of famous poets and, and philosophers and writers of the time as well. That makes sense. Yeah. Her mother died shortly after giving birth to Mary, a fact that haunted her for the rest of her life. Oh, no. Um, I know. It was really sad. And I learned that the reason she died is really awful but kind of feels relevant to Frankenstein in a way okay but her she she died because the physician who delivered Mary did not wash his hands after performing an autopsy (gasps) and it was a specific type of fever that a lot of women who died in childbirth or died after childbirth got because their physicians didn't wash their hands after touching autopsies, dead bodies after touching dead bodies oh my so God. fucking That's gross before we knew about germs exactly and- <laughs> it was like oh god <laughs> and so she couldn't have possibly ever known that at any point in her life like she wouldn't have known the reasons that, that it that- wasn't complications from based from her yes yes yeah. but knowing what we know now it feels kind of symbolic yeah. you know what i mean Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, a lot of articles I found left out the fact that she had a half-sister. Her mother had an affair with some other dude. Oh. And her half-sister's name was Fanny Imlay. And Fanny was, I believe, disfigured. Oh. And didn't like to be in the public eye. And so a lot of scholarly articles about, like, why Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein posit a lot of different things, but only some of them talk about the fact that she had a sister who was disfigured and dealt with a lot of scrutiny Hmm. um, because of who her parents were and what she looked like and the fact that she stayed in the shadows, et cetera, et cetera. So wow. she doesn't factor into a lot of Mary's story, but I think it's interesting to know about her and think about her because she does sort of come back in later on. Yeah. But Sandra M. Gilbert, who is one of the historians cited in the JSTOR article, wrote that after that, Mary Shelley's only real mother was a tombstone. A Sandra Ooh. M. Gilbert, who wrote, who was one of the historians cited in the JSTOR article, writes... The remark is not as figurative as it may first appear. Mary spent a considerable amount of time at her mother's grave in the St. Pancras Pancras churchyard reading her mother's work. So she would oh. she would go to the graveyard and sit by her mother's grave and read her mom's books. Just to be oh. close to her mother. I oh. know. I know. I love that. <laughs> I know. And that was, honestly, like, she was not somebody who received a formal education. Most of her education came from, yeah, most of her education came from reading her mom's books and her dad's books. And so a lot of her, a lot of her education came from reading books by her mom's grave. So the cemetery was where she felt most at home for so long. For so much of her life. Wow. In learning and in... So creepy and spooky, but I love it. I love it so much. So, especially because she never knew her mother, writes Gilbert, her principal mode of self-definition, certainly in the early years of her life with Percy Shelley, her future husband, when she was writing Frankenstein, was through reading. She says, endlessly studying her mother's works and her father's, Mary Shelley may be said to have read her family and to have been related to her reading, for books appear to have functioned as her surrogate parents, pages and words standing in for flesh and blood. Wow. Well, where was her dad? Her dad was around, but he, after her mom's death... He wasn't that great with money. He was a thinker and a writer. He was not, uh, you know, he, he just wasn't good with finances. 
Uh-huh. And so he squandered a lot of money. And his solution was to look for a second wife with a lot of money. Okay, that works out real well all the time. It, it did in this case, at least for him. He ended up marrying their neighbor, uh, Mary Claremont. Yes, another Mary. And I mean, it's a very common name, especially back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mary and Mary did not get along at all. But Mary Claremont provided for William Godwin and his... Uh, he basically was able to start up a publisher through that money. Okay. And he started publishing famous poets and philosophers. And, you know, that was kind of how he continued to hobnob with those people and make somewhat of a living, I guess, and Uh keep his name out there. Right. Um, But yeah, Mary and Mary did not get along. So he actually sent her to Scotland for a little while to be with to be raised by a a family friend. Also spooky. (laughs) Also spooky. Scottish Highlands are very spooky. It's yeah, the moors and the fog and the speaking of Jane Eyre, which we talked about last week was when it was published. Yep. However many years ago. Yep, exactly. And he asked his friends, I love this, that she be raised like a philosopher, even like a cynic. So he wanted okay, her to be Dad. like, I know, he wanted her to be a free thinker. He wanted her to to really, like, puzzle through shit for herself. All right. Even though he didn't necessarily provide her with a formal education, because they weren't loaded, you know, they were, right. they were, they knew the free thinkers and philosophers of society, but they weren't wealthy. Right. And that so, you know, she had to, she had to get that from somewhere else. So, by 15, Mary was, according to Wikipedia and her dad, singularly bold, somewhat imperious, Uh, and active of mind. All right. I know. Pretty great. Can you imagine, like, if she had had a formal education? I don't know. Maybe it would have stamped out because they had so many strict rules, this sort of... Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know what a formal education looks like for a woman in the early 1800s. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, needlepoint and shit. Yeah. I think You learn languages, painting. Yep. Poetry. Yep. Maybe some piano. But not not philosophy and shit. Not as Mm -mm. much. No, not really. Um, But she she did end up coming back before she was 15. And the, the press was not doing, like, that great. So he was looking for ways to make fast cash, her dad. Oh, boy. And he did borrow every now and then money from his fans, people who liked his work and also had money. And Crowdsourcing. Yeah. One of those people was the poet Percy Shelley, uh-huh. who had been kicked out of college for atheism and fraternizing with Lord Byron. Which I <laughs> just fucking love. I mean, he was kind of a cad. Percy, yeah. Percy Shelley yeah. and Byron. Like, they were both not the greatest people. But, you know, whatever. But that's kind of awesome, getting kicked out of college for atheism. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was somebody who was, a, he considered himself a free thinker, and he was into free love. Oh, uh, uh-huh. no, one of those bros. Uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. Yep. God, I hope she doesn't get an STD at any point. Uh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> but other things happen that aren't sure. great. Um, but yeah, like he he was a, a poet of marginal um, uh, fame. And okay. so he and his family had some money. So he was like, hey, William Godwin, I will, like, help bail out your publisher. And in the meantime, while I'm here, I'm going to get to know your daughter a little better. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, before you, like, consider it to be terribly sexy, she was 15 and he was 20 and married. He was married. He was that married. free love. Yeah, he didn't really care that he was married, but he was married, and his wife cared that he was married. (laughs) Um, You know, she was pregnant with his child, so she would care, I think, probably. I mean, hey, wow, there's like echoes of last week. 
I don't even know though how much she cared because he got away with so much and Mary, he and Mary got away with so much. Mm. I don't fucking know, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. It is what it is. At the end of the day. Um, but just to go back to that, that JSTOR article a little bit, cause they talked so much about her, uh, her <laughs> cemetery love. They said the cemetery took on a new relevance when Percy Shelley burst onto the scene. The Godwins maintained an intellectual household with visitors such as the radical essayist William Hazlitt, the painter Thomas Lawrence, the chemist Humphrey Davy, and the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. But no one had as much influence on Mary as Percy, a fervent admirer of her father's, which we know. Yes. Um, Gave him money. Yep, gave him money. Mary was attracted to his idealism, his fearlessness, and what his friend Thomas Jefferson Hogg called his, quote, wild, intellectual, unearthly looks. I mean, and the it two, makes sense to me. Yeah. I would be into that, too. Yeah, she e- was 15. Even if he was a cat. If I was 15, I wouldn't know the difference. I guess she was 16. She was 15 or 16 at this point. But they started taking walks in the cemetery together. Uh-oh. She was like, hey, I'm real attracted to you. And This you, is my safe space. This is my safe space. Like, I'm showing you what I love and who I love. And, you know, that's very exciting for me. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so guess what she did next to her mother's grave? Did they fuck? She lost her virginity. <laughs> Next to her mother's grave. Yep, 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 well, yep. hey, you know. So she's like, Mom, I want you to be here for this super important moment <laughs> in my know. life. I, I mean, it is kind of sweet. Like, she never had a relationship with her mom, you know? It's sweet, sort of. I mean, it's fucking weird as shit. But it is, she, she wanted so badly to have a relationship with this woman who she never met. And I guess it's also a um, like a secret place that's uncrowded if you're going to fuck a married man. Oh, yeah. I mean, for real. So. Pretty soon, though, um, unfortunately, she was pregnant. And was he still married at this point? He was still married. I guess divorces didn't really happen that much. No, they didn't. <laughs> and her dad was super not into their relationship, even though he was he was a very liberal guy but this thing he was not liberal about i mean Uh, i get it fair enough i mean percy was married then like having a child out of wedlock is a big deal yeah having a child out of wedlock the guy who got you pregnant is married and also got his wife pregnant Hmm. you know very messy it's a little messy um so mary and percy just like picked up and went to france he left his wife? He left his wife in back in England. Pregnant. Pregnant. And Great. he and Mary left. Cool. And what's weirder is that they took Mary's stepsister, Claire, Claire Claremont, yes, that's her name, with them. And the, sh- the, the second wife's <laughs> child? Yes, the second wife's child. They took Why? her with them. I honestly do not know, but she stayed with them forever. She, like, was constantly, she traveled with them. They lived either with her or near her for the rest of their Ooh, that must have chapped her stepmom that they were really close. Yeah, I don't, she... think, I don't think Mary Claremont loved that very much. Um, but here's the thing. Percy, being a free love guy, was likely having an affair with Claire, too. Oh. And it's interesting that Mary Godwin, who becomes Mary Shelley was like, yeah, stepsister, you can come and live with us. And I know my husband or, you know, future husband is having an affair with you. Weird. But I'm going to let it happen because he's into free love. And I have to say that I'm into free love, too. Well, yeah, you kind of have to Mm -hmm. at the outset. If you're going to sleep with a married man. Yep. You have to be into that idea. Yep. If he's not going to keep it terribly secret. Exactly. He was he was pretty upfront about that, about his like ideas about all of that. All right. So that time period was pretty weird. Like he was clearly, oh, yeah. you know, he was fucking around with Claire. Mary was pregnant. She was often ill, and Percy, the fucking weirdo, kept trying to set her up with his friend Thomas Hogg. 
Because he was just like, we're free love. Like, I love you. But he was but still like, also having a relationship with Mary, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they were in France at this hey, time. Well, at least he wasn't hypocritical about it. No, he wasn't. He wasn't like, I'm into free love, but only when I do it. Right. Exactly. But He's like, no, go for it. She, in theory, was also like, yeah, free love. That's fine. But, you only know. Only when you do it. <laughs> I think for the rest of her life, Percy Shelley was kind of it for her. Yeah. He was really the only guy she was ever going to love. So she didn't dismiss the idea of getting with Thomas Hogg outright. Right. But she never did. Huh. You know, she and Thomas ended up actually becoming really good friends. All right. Instead. And they would exchange letters and they would hang out and just, you know, be one-on-one together. But they never, ever became lovers or anything like that. Huh. Okay. So she, she really just loved Percy and that was it. Okay. But, you know, she tried. <laughs> she just loved him and wanted to keep him happy, but I guess she wasn't jealous by nature, clearly. No, she. I think she and Claire became friends in a big way, and Claire was uh, like a sister rock wives. for her. Yeah, very, yes, exactly, sister wives. Um, unfortunately, though, the money dried up. and As it is wont to do. As it is wont to do, and they returned to England. So they lived with Claire back in England because Mary's dad was pissed at her. Um, you know, and that's just kind of how it was. Yeah, and, sure. And, of course, she's still, like, corresponding with Thomas Hogg. They're doing their thing. His wife is pregnant, maybe having given birth at this point. I don't actually know because all of the articles said something different. But okay, whatever. It's fine. The timeline's murky. The timeline's murky. Basically, she was deeply depressed, alone, and they needed a fucking vacation. Mm. Um, oh, and the child, unfortunately, she did give birth and the child passed away at this point. Mm. So she was feeling bereaved and just needed to get away. It's like a weird um, reversal of what happened with her mother. She oh. must have felt like she was some, yeah. in some way a harbinger of death with when motherhood's oh, involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and especially because the pregnancy, like, I think, was hard yeah, for her. Like, yeah. she was not healthy throughout. She felt very ill. She couldn't, you know, go on long walks or anything. She couldn't really go out very much. Oh, God. And so, yeah, she just was uncomfortable and in pain for a lot of it. And then her and then her child passed away. Mm. And she sent Thomas Hogg a lot of letters about how upset she was and how hard that was for her. Right. Because he was her best friend by now, even though they weren't, like, fucking. And, um, yeah, so it was hard. It was a hard time. And they were like, we need to get away. So... In the summer of 1816, when they Mary, went to Switzerland, Mary was 18 and they ended up at, at Lake Geneva, uh, joined by a bunch of other writers, free thinkers, and of course, free love enthusiasts. Oh boy. Oh So yes. Percy's going to have a real good time. Oh yeah. We're on vacation, babe. Oh yeah. And time among them was Lord Byron. Oh boy. Oh yes. That old chestnut. <laughs> Lord Byron, you old fruit. <laughs> Or, as one of his former lovers called him, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord Byron, noted bad boy. what's funny is Claire Claremont uh, wrote a memoir, and and historians knew about it for a long time, but they didn't actually discover it until 2010. Okay. So they found, they finally found her memoir and and started to read it, and she is very, very anti- Lord Byron and Percy Shelley in this uh, memoir. Like, oh. she is like, those dudes are the devil. They are toxic as fuck. And, like... When they get together, uh huh, it's the worst in the world. That is exactly what she said. And historians were shocked, you know? They were kind of baffled because they thought this whole time that Claire just was sort of the side member of this group and didn't have much of an opinion at all. <laughs> Wrong! So, they found it was it was a really interesting insight into Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Lord Byron, but it was pretty bitter. Um, I love that. Yeah, and you'll Growing see. shade centuries later. Yeah, you'll see why in a minute. Um, yeah, but but Byron, who had fled a crumbling marriage and crippling debt, was holed up in this luxurious lakeside property called Villa Diodati. 
and the young hedonistic group expected a summer of mountain hikes with a bit of idyllic boating. I mean, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. But weirdly, global temperatures and frequent storms kept them mostly confined indoors. Where long philosophical discussions were rumored to have been accompanied by copious amounts of sex, wine, and laudanum, an opium laced tonic. <laughs> opium laced tonic. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Woo! And. What a time. By the time they left, Claire was pregnant with Lord Byron's child. Oh, Lord. Fun times! Free love! She hedonism! Hated him? After. Oh, oh. <laughs> what the debauched wordsmiths didn't know was that a global climate catastrophe had ca- caused their wintry midsummer. Really? In 1815, Mount Tambora, or Tambora? I don't know. In what is now Indonesia, blew up. It was the largest volcanic eruption in recorded history. Whoa. Such enormous quantities of ash particles were blasted into the atmosphere that the Earth's temperature dropped by three degrees Celsius. Holy fuck. That's a lot. I don't I didn't look up what it is in Fahrenheit, but three degrees Celsius is a lot. That's certainly that's that's what we're trying to stop. I know. Is <laughs> the rise of like three degrees. Yes. Um, many areas of the world suffered an unseasonable chill that lingered for months. Wow. Widespread crop failure and food shortages plagued North America, while parts of Europe suffered uh, hibernal, I'd never heard that word before, but hibernal storms and frosts. Oh. The origins and extent of the disaster were unknown to Mary, Lord Byron, and everyone else who shivered through the summer. But it was a great setup for people. (laughs) I mean, that's why you have a lot of, like, summer and fall babies, right? Because people are indoors, Mm -hmm. cooped up inside because of the cold weather. What are they going to do? They're going to bone down and make them babies. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And, I mean, these people had already fucked each other so much that they were bored of doing even that. (laughs) More opium, please. I mean, yeah. So Mary wrote in one of her letters, I think to Thomas Hogg, One night we enjoyed a finer storm than I had ever beheld. The lake was lit up. The pines on Jura made visible and all the scene illuminated for an instant. When a pitchy blackness succeeded and the thunder came in frightful bursts over our heads amid the darkness. She's talking about lightning? Lightning. Crazy lightning. (laughs) As the wind beat against the windows and the rain churned up waves on the lake, the group spent the evening discussing the French translation of a German collection of ghost stories. Oh, hell yeah. Aptly titled Phantasmagoriana. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. To, to time travel back to that, I know. To that summer and just go hang out. I mean, the free, don't hit me up with that free love shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, want, I don't want an STD. Thank you. But to just go sit around a fire and drink wine. I know. And listen to the... I know. That would be great. Like, read German ghost stories and then have Lord Byron challenge you to come up with your own ghost story because that's what happened. He basically was like, hey, guys, why don't we all write our own ghost stories at this point? And they all were like, yeah, we're sick of each other. We're sick of having sex. We're sick of taking drugs. We're sick of having sex. Like, we're sick of doing all this shit. So bored. Let's go write some fucking ghost stories. fucked you too many times this week. Ugh. Like, I'm just over it. I'm just over it, you know? Um, So Mary would write years later in the preface to one of the most famous horror novels of all time, Frankenstein. I busied myself to think of a story, one which would speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling terror, one to make the reader dread to look around, to curdle the blood, and quicken the beatings of the heart. And yes, it sure did. Unfortunately, she wrote, instead she felt that blank incapability of invention, which is the greatest misery of authorship, when dull nothing replies to our anxious 
invocations, meaning she had writer's block. What the fuck? That's a beautiful way to talk about writer's block. The most writery <laughs> way to talk about writer's block I've ever heard. The uh, That blank incapability of invention, which is the greatest misery of authorship. You know that feeling. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know it well. So she was like, yeah, I'm going to write you this fucking badass ghost story. And then she sat down to write it and was like, I got nothing. I got nothing. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I spoke too soon. You did. Fuck. I mean, you know. But one night, after listening to Lord Byron and Percy Shelley have a long conversation about scientific experiments (gasps) and the possibility of reanimating corpses, Mary suffered horrifying visions as she tried to sleep. Also, gross, guys. I know. What the fuck, dudes? Like, come the fuck on. Like, hey, hey, one day... One day, we're going to be able to reanimate corpses. Why would you want to? (laughs) She imagined a doctor who had assembled a living thing from pieces of dead bodies. Well. She wrote, I saw the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. (laughs) I fucking love her so much. Oh, God, it's so good. Terrifying. So the nightmare obviously put an end to her writer's block. And the ongoing storms and the creepy atmosphere and all that shit. She started writing Frankenstein. Frankenstein. (laughs) Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Indeed. Frankenstein. So. Hail, Doctor. um, On their return to England in September of that year, Mary and Percy moved with Claire Claremont, who took lodgings nearby, to Bath where they hoped to keep Clara's pregnancy from Lord Byron a secret. God, this is so dramatic and gossipy. Yeah. Um, and, and you get go uh, experience the healing waters of Bath, because that's what all the British people did in that oh, era. Oh, well, there you go. Well, they might have needed that after what happened next. Uh-oh. Yeah, because I mentioned Fanny Imlay, her half-sister. Yeah. On the morning of the 10th of October, which was a couple days ago for us, as we're recording, her half-sister was found dead in a room at a Swansea Inn. Swansea? 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 In Wales? Yes. Swansea. Um, along with a suicide note no. and a laudanum bottle. And then, on the 10th of December, Percy Shelley's wife, Harriet, was discovered drowned in the Serpentine, a lake in Hyde Park, London. How did that happen? Well, it's interesting. Um, some articles I found said that she also committed suicide. It's really hard to do that by drowning. Some people said it was organized by Mary's father. Because he wanted her daughter, his daughter, to have a legitimate marriage. That, I would buy into that more easily. Yeah. Because unless she was attached to weights or something. Yeah. It's really hard to drown yourself. It's really hard to drown yourself. (laughs) And. Your body does not biologically want that to happen yeah i think they rule it a suicide and so that's why a lot of the articles i found called it a suicide Mm. but there unless she drugged herself first right there were some articles that said there has been speculation that mary shelley's father maybe organized it woof yeah i know this this story is crazy dramatic I, i mean she was no longer pregnant Obviously, at this time, she had given birth to Percy's baby. The kid uh, maybe was a year old or almost a year. No, a little a little That's more than so a year. sad. I know. A little more than a year because Mary was 18 and they met. She met Percy when she was 16. So, yes. So, Harriet's child was a few years old. But, yeah, she, she uh, drowned. We're not sure whether by murder or suicide. But cer- it's certainly suspicious circumstances. But it's suspicious circumstances. Either way, both deaths, her half-sister and Harriet Shelley's deaths, uh, were hushed up. Wow. Harriet's family obstructed Percy Shelley's efforts to assume custody of his two children from Harriet. 
Um, his lawyers. Wait, why? I mean, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Free love, man. Free love. Uh, I, th- I'm so sorry. I redact that question. <laughs> but also, he hadn't been around at all. Yeah. He went off and lived with two other women somewhere else. Exactly. So. Which is why his lawyers advised him to improve his case by getting married. Mm. So he and Mary, who was also pregnant again, got married that month, 20 days after his wife's death. Gross. I know. It's really awful. Um, Yeah. They went. They did that. Mary's dad was happy about it at the very least. So maybe that's good. Uh, In the early summer of 1817, so the following year, Mary Shelley finished writing Frankenstein. And crazily enough, she published it anonymously in January of 1818. And she had Percy Shelley write a foreword to it. Uh-huh. And so everybody thought that Percy had written it. For the longest time, everyone was under the impression that Percy Shelley, and a lot of people still think that. A lot of there are a lot of scholars who are like, "Oh yes, it's obviously Percy Shelley who wrote this book." Yeah, they can buck right off. Yes, exactly. There's enough evidence that shows Mary did it, <laughs> wrote it, her journals, etc. Yeah, she did it. But so obviously that was an issue. But she was like, "I'd rather the book be published anonymously than not be published at all because a woman is trying to publish it." Right. Right. The Shelleys left Britain in 1818 for Italy because of creditors and issues with custody of their kids. Sweet. Yes. They're having lots of money problems. They're having lots of money problems, a lot of issues with Harriet's family. Also, it's crazy to me, though, that at this time you could just up and leave the country because of money problems. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like now it costs too much money to leave. Well, and you also have, I mean, your data is everywhere. Yeah. And it was not at that time. I mean, basically, a creditor would come and knock on Percy Shelley's door and be like, hey, you owe us money. And Percy would be like, all right, I'll be right there. And then go out the back door and flee to France and never see that creditor again. Right. You know? Just stay there for a couple years. Exactly. So, yeah, so that was their situation. They were like, we got to get out of the way of some of this shit. And they went to Italy. Um, unfortunately, their second child died in Italy before Mary gave birth to their last and only surviving child. Wow. Yeah. Percy Florence Shelley. Um, and crazy enough, in 1822, her husband, the original Percy Shelley, drowned. Can you believe that? His wife drowned. His, his original wife drowned. And then he also drowned in 1822. He went sailing during a storm. And she didn't hear from him. She didn't hear what happened to the to the boat for several days and just kind of assumed like, okay, the storm happened. Maybe I'll hear that he washed up in another town or something at some point. But it turned out that he passed away in the storm. In Italy, I know. Isn't that How insane? Uh, 1822, he was 20 when he met her in 1814, I believe. So not that old. Whatever that is. Yeah, he was under 30. He was like 28. Something like that. Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she was like, oh, God, okay, I'm alone now with our one surviving child in Italy. My husband has now died. Yeah. Um, Frankenstein went through a couple editions while she lived. She, she got to see three different printings of Frankenstein, and I think the last one, at the very least, had her name on it. Thank God. While she was alive. While she was alive. And she wrote a foreword to it. That basically explained her dream and the way she came up with the idea. Like, so to all of you who thought this was my husband, fuck you. (laughs) Right. However, she did spend a lot of time in the next few years making sure that Percy's works got published. I think because she was able to make money off of that and she was able to support her and Percy Jr. Yeah. Through her husband's But she also genuinely works. seemed to be in love with him, even though he was a fuckboy. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> like, unfortunately, yes. I mean, he clearly loved her, too. 
In his weird fuck boy way. He stayed with her. Yeah, I mean, he went to France and to Italy and to Switzerland with her when he could have just been like, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to go over there. Instead, he went with her. Mm-hmm. So it's true. You're right. Like, she was clearly his primary partner. Yeah. But he felt totally empowered to um, have sex with a lot of other people along the way. Thanks, Lord Byron. Thank you, Lord Byron, yeah, for instilling that. Um, So for the next few years, she did continue to write, and she made sure that her husband's unpublished works were published so that she could make some money, and she raised her son. Um, I thought this was kind of funny. She was proposed to by an infatuated John Howard Payne, who was an American actor, who she said no to. She was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. And so he went to Washington Irving, who wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And was like, hey, Washington and Rip Irving. And Rip, and Rip Van Winkle. And, she, and he said, hey, Washington, she said no to me, but maybe she'll say yes to you. So you go propose to Mary Shelley. <laughs> but why? I don't know. She was, he just, I don't know. He just wanted her to get married, I guess. I'm not sure. She deserves a man. She deserves a man. Um, She told John, John Howard Payne, uh, that after being married to one genius, she could only marry another. Ooh. Ooh. That's a a real burn. Uh uh Uh-huh. Probably needed ice for that burn. I feel like he took it in, in good spirits, though. Yeah, well. Yeah. Um, have you ever read Dracula? No. It kind of reminds me of Dracula, where, like, Lucy Westenra has all these dudes vying for her attention and her affection, but they're all also best friends, and they're all in good spirits with one another when they each get rejected by her. Anyway. Huh. I appreciate that. You're just like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, I get it. all right, all right. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, stupid. Your turn. <laughs> I'm pretty stupid. Yeah. Washington Irving? Uh, why don't you give it a go? Yeah, you try. You're a pretty well-received <laughs> author. Potentially a genius to some. See Maybe. if Mary Shelley says so. I did Washington Irving propose to her? I don't think he did. <laughs> I don't think he ever actually did. But John Howard Payne was like, Washington you Irving, do whose it. grave is very nearby to New York City, up in Terrytown. We just visited it yesterday. Yep. I know. Um, so I love this. In 1827, Mary Shelley was party to a scheme that enabled her friend Isabel Ronson and Isabel's lover, Mary Diana Dodds, who wrote under the name David Lindsay, to get married. What? I know. She basically was like, yeah, I'll help you two lady lovers get married to each other. Using her pen name? I think using her pen name. Well, this is me, so. With the help of John Howard Payne, whom she kept in the dark about the details, Mary Shelley obtained false passports for the couple. One under David Lindsay and one under Isabel Ronson's name. I'm not sure where they went, but she was like, yeah, I want you guys to get married. Your love is beautiful. So I'm going to help you. Hot damn. I know. Good I job. love her. Feminists are great. I know. They're so great. So for the next few years, Mary just kind of did her thing. She was a champion of women. She continued to write. And she watched her son grow up and get married to a woman that she actually liked named uh-huh. Jane. Yep. And according to Jane Shelley, Mary had asked to be buried with her mother and father in her original cemetery, St. Pancras. The one that she lost her virginity in. <laughs> yes. Um, but Percy and Jane, judging the graveyard to be, quote, dreadful, <gasps> I know, chose to bury her instead at St. Peter's Church. Yeah, but who cares? She didn't care. I know. She didn't care. It kind of makes me sad. Um, yeah. But... On the first anniversary, this is where I'm going to end it, on the first anniversary of Mary Shelley's death, she, by the way, she died th- uh, from, like, a brain tumor. Oh. Um, but, yes. On the first anniversary of Mary Shelley's death, the Shelleys opened her box desk. Inside, they found locks of her dead children's hair, a notebook that she had shared with Percy Shelley, her husband, because they kept a joint fucking journal throughout 
their lives together, which is like you're right as his as her primary partner. <laughs> even though he had sex with a lot of other people, he she was clearly the one for him. Yeah. Um and a copy of his poem, Adonais, with one page folded around a silk parcel containing some of his ashes and the remains of his heart. Because she was... She's creepy her whole life. Creepy her whole life. I love it. And that's Mary Shelley. She is the OG creeper. The OG creeper who wrote Frankenstein. OG goth. She's the OG goth is what she is. She is is the OG goth. She is metal as fuck. She kept her husband's heart wrapped in a fucking poem until she died. This woman was batshit and I loved her. She's amazing. She's awesome. And obviously and I helped didn't... orchestrate a lesbian wedding. Yes, she helped orchestrate a lesbian wedding. Amazing. I didn't go into all of the stuff about like how you can interpret Frankenstein and what her thoughts were and blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I feel like you maybe got a sense of who she was as a person to give you an idea of why she well, wrote Frankenstein. Knows Frankenstein. It is one of, I think it's the most assigned novel in high schools across the I US. I have not read it. I your face. It's been a while you're so, for me. It's okay. You're so cringe. Yeah. Do you have some on this day for me? I do. Just a few. Uh some weird ones cuz like obviously it's uh, spooking season. It's spooking oh, season God, and you know, no. there's I've been saying it. The normal amount of battles and blah blah blah. But aside from those in 1814, the first plastic surgery is performed in uh, England. What is it? I don't know. I didn't look it up. Oh. I didn't look it up. But 1814, which is kind of around the time of Frankenstein. It is. So I thought it was kind of Nip relevant. Tuck, bitch. You know? Um, 1910, Blanche Scott becomes the first woman to fly at a public event in the U.S. at Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh. Very interesting. 1915, an estimated 25,000 supporters in a women's suffrage march on New York's Fifth Avenue, led by Dr. Anna Shaw and Carrie Chapman Catt, founder of the League of Women Voters. Ben tells me that the first plastic surgery was a rhinoplasty, a nose surgery. Using a skin graft from the arm. I mean, presumably it was because somebody had their nose bashed in or something. Yeah, something like that. Anyway. Yeah. 1933, John Dillinger and his gang rob Central National Bank in Greencastle, Indiana. They steal $75,000. I'd love to just have $75,000. I know. Uh, 1941. I didn't realize this was this early, but Walt Disney releases Dumbo. 1941. That's so crazy because last week, Walt Disney Company founding in like 1923. Yes. Walt Disney Company is old. It's old. It's so, so old. We think about it because the the golden age, the first golden age of Disney was like the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, the 90s was the huge late 80s, early 90s. That's the, true. Was the big renaissance. That's true. Like the Aladdins and the Little Mermaid, Little Beauty Mermaid and the Beast. And, yeah, yeah, all those. But then we had the Pixar renaissance that happened. That's Although true. that started so early because Toy Story came out in like 96, 97. That's very true. Yeah. And now it's like in full swing. Yeah. Uh, 1956, the first video recording on magnetic tape is televised coast to coast. Okay. Instead of being live? Instead of being live. I see. Okay. And I don't really, I don't know which show it is or anything like that, but that's, um, that is the first time that happens. 1973, Richard Nixon agrees to turn over White House tape recordings to Judge Sirica. LOL. Sirica. I know. I thought that I included it because, uh, hi, we're in the middle of stupid Watergate. So. (laughs) Yeah. As uh, John John Oliver 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 calls it. Uh, In 2018, the world's oldest shipwreck (gasps) in ancient Greece 
a vessel that is 2,400 years old. What? Is found at the bottom of the Black Sea by archaeologists. Oh, man. Speaking of spookins. Spookins. That's my that's my whole thing. Shipwrecks. Shipwrecks. That's true. It's you a are a shipwrecker. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love it. Went to a lighthouse museum in Michigan once. It was amazing because apparently Lake Erie, because it's huge, oh. has a ton of shipwrecks. That makes sense. I used to live, I mean, I was blocks away from Lake Ontario yeah. growing up, and there were a lot of shipwrecks on the bottom of Lake Ontario. <laughs> yeah. I watched this story on Facebook. You can cut this if you want. We're just going super over. But about this dude who survived for nearly three days in a ship that sank. He had like an air bubble. Oh my god. And then he swam to a part that had a bigger air bubble, but of course you run out of oxygen eventually. And it was like divers went down to find bodies and they found him oh. and he had been with so little oxygen for so long. He was delirious. And they had to figure out a way to bring him up really slowly because he was 300 feet underwater. Yeah. And they didn't want him to get the bends. It's insane that he thought he thought he had uh, been down there for like 10 hours. He didn't realize oh it had god. been nearly 3 days. And he um, now will never work on ships again. No. But that not that insane? Yeah, he's alive. That's insane. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're going to have to send me yeah, it's info b- about b- that. B- 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 it was the scariest thing. Because of my spooking thing about shipwrecks. I can't. I can't. I was very... T- speaking <gasps> of childhood trauma, I was too <gasps> obsessed too early with sinking ships. Yeah. And now I'm terrified of them. Me too, honestly. I mean, maybe not to the extent that you are, but I don't like the ocean. I don't like open water. Uh uh-uh, uh, me uh-uh. neither. Oh my god, she doesn't like open water, Benji. I'm not alone. No, it's creepy. It's so creepy. I mean, I'm I'm fully fully confident in my skills of swimming, and I love being in water. That has nothing to do with it. The ocean is terrifying. Thank you. And um, thank you. Yeah. Dude, what are you excited about? <laughs> it's kind of a a double excitement. Um, not double. It's a repeat. But so. As we talked about before, I was excited about board games, right? Yes. I've been on a board game kick lately, clearly. Um, but I'm excited, and it's appropriate for spooking season. I just bought a board game that I'm really excited to play. I haven't played it yet, and it's called Mixtape Massacre. As again, it's a game that is it's like an homage to 80s slasher film. And what it is, is basically every player plays as a um, horror film archetype, and they compete for kills like they're all serial killers like jason like but they can't because those are are copyrighted properties yeah but there's like yeah so that's the there's a final girl and then there's a survivor on the other game so you have um uh there's like the legend which is a cross between michael myers and jason Voorhees. okay um that you have like a chucky inspired one you have a pennywise inspired one you have a carrie inspired one there's one in the Ooh. in the expansion pack that I purchased that's like a camp counselor. Yeah, sleepaway camp. Sleepaway camp counselor who's murderous <laughs> now. And it's it sounds so oh cool. And it comes like they send a thing, they have a playlist that's all 80 songs. And it's a 19 hour long playlist. So you can use it again and again for multiple plays of the game. So you can see on there there's one that's uh the ring. Oh Samara yes. from the ring, like a uh, the hair and the face. Yeah, and... a creepy supernatural japanese inspired fuck yes yeah there's just so many different archetypes in there dude i love it and it seems super cool and super perfect for the season so i'm really excited to play it i think we should try and play it tomorrow um since i have the day off work (gasps) Ah! oh my god oh my god yes and we do need to still play last night on earth which is our zombie board game yes also very seasonal and I think by the same people you said, I believe no, you're... No, you guessed. I don't know for sure. Oh, okay. But I, also, I do want to get... You might I'll, be right. I'll do it on the podcast. I'll give a... I want to review these guys um, publicly somewhere. Okay. Because um, customers, from a customer service perspective, I ordered this game. Okay. Within 20 minutes, got an email with a tracking number that it had already been shipped. 
20 oh my God. minutes. And it the- was stuck in the mail. And it came from Maryland. So because it was so close to here, I got it within 24 hours of ordering it without paying for that kind of shipping. Like, I can't guarantee that for other people, but I'm just saying they literally put it in the mail the second you, you order it. So the company is Bright Light. Bright Light. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, I mean, they clearly are super and the excited about their there's, there's a woman who helped create this game too, which I'd like to say. It's like two dudes and a, and a, and a chick. Who made this game? Love it. We finally got it. Dude, that's awesome. Thanks. Halloween shit. Halloween shit. Love we've got, it. We've got another Halloweeny episode to do. Yes. We one more. We gotta figure out what it's gonna entail. I know. One day. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. In the next, you know, week. Yep. Because we have to. Yep. And uh, uh, until then, find us on social media. GWBB Podcast. Pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Email us Instagram. your spooky stories. Yes, GWBBpodcast please. GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, become a patron of ours. Patreon.com slash GWBBpodcast. Give us a coffee on our Ko-Fi. K-O-F-I.com slash GWBBpodcast. And until then, peace out, witches. Goodbye. 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 <laughs> for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty and much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. (laughs) Our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Bounce.